What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Four Verts Podcast. Hope everyone had a great Halloween and is having a good week up until now. Uh, the format of this episode is going to be the same as the last one. Game recaps, questions, game overviews, and then finally our picks for the week. So again, thanks for tuning in. Let's get it. to game recap so we're going to start off with the Georgia versus Kentucky game so what you got there pitiful I have one word to describe it straight pitiful watching that game on Saturday was one of the most boring games I've ever watched you know we got we got the win did what we had to do but it's just gearing up for Florida offense looks super flat man if we play it that I'll talk about this later, but if we play at night against Florida, it's not gonna it's not gonna be good. But I don't know if Todd Munkin was just doing that on purpose and trying to hide some stuff from Florida coming up. But I mean it was it was rough. I mean Stetson threw two picks off ninety-five yards, only threw the ball fourteen times. Zamir had a good game. Had a career high rushing, 136. It's just, I don't know. And we got plagued with injuries, too. That's <laughs> make it even worse. Got a bunch of guys hurt. Uh, one of the key guys, that, in my opinion, that's going to hurt is uh, Jordan Davis, nose tackle up the middle. I mean, he's been a stud right there all year. And he's uh, more than likely not going to play that many snaps this Saturday. I'd be surprised if he played at all, but since it's Florida, he probably will. The count didn't get hurt in the game, but apparently somebody was trying to kill him after the game on Saturday. Probably an angry Georgia fan. I don't know what was going on there. Um, he shouldn't be mad at him, though. He snapped. Yeah, he did snap. Um, he had 13 tackles. Um, light work. Slight work, but – there's not much I have to say about that game, man. I mean, it was we ran the ball good, but that's all we did was run, run, run. I was hoping that Stetson was going to get some more air time because he needs it, you know, especially coming off a of bye week. I thought we were going to be really explosive on offense, and we came out the exact opposite. You know, maybe during that bye week we worked on some stuff for the Florida games or we worked on a bunch of stuff and don't remember again. That could be, that could be the way – it's going to go, but, you know, I figured Stetson was going to work on reading his receivers a little better, diagnosing coverages before he snaps the ball. Didn't really see that. Once again, his uh, his first pick, the one that got batted, he was trying to – right when he snapped the ball, he's looking to the left the whole time. He saw it the running back right there. I think it was uh, Kendall wide open, staring him down, hesitated a little bit, then threw it. He gave the defensive lineman enough time to bat it down. 
Might have had a heck of a play, though. He batted it and intercepted it. But had Kyrgios Jackson come wide open, come across the middle, and he could have thrown to. It's just stuff like that. I mean, we saw it against Alabama. We've seen it against Auburn a couple times against Tennessee. I mean, it's happening week in, week out. You know, before at this level, but you got to limit the turnovers, especially against an SEC team. You know, five turnovers in two games is not what you want. And he keeps he keeps fumbling the ball. So I mean, Stetson is. I was I was wanting him to have a good clean game against Kentucky, so he can come out with confidence against Florida. And now I'm scared because he's gonna have to build that confidence back up against Florida. But you know, it happens. You, uh, what's up? Do you think it's a case of where like Stetson's they've they've put enough on tape of him where teams kind of know where his weaknesses are? I mean, and then George is trying to hide him by not letting him drop back, you know, not having him throw anything outside the hashes. I mean, it's almost it's almost like at this point, I was kind of surprised that none of the other quarterbacks got in. I mean, you're a damn handoff specialist. Dwan can do that. I know. I mean, Dwan would be better at that. You can run read option with Dwan. And, I mean, you can run read option with Stetson, too. I mean, he's an athletic dude, but I just throw Dwan in there, you know, come up with a bunch of creative – run plays with them and it would like you said I'm surprised no one else came in there because it was pitiful especially I don't know if Kirby has this still has this loyalty that he's had with the quarterbacks in the past he has his stats and it scares me honestly because I don't see the offense changing that much this year Stetson's behind center and just looking at Stetson over the past couple of games you said um I think teams have realized that we're just trying to go across the middle with them. And so they're playing zone up the middle, wait for those crossing routes, those slants, those easy throws to get your guys open. And he's struggling. Ever since the Alabama game, he's struggling hard. So, you know, it, Florida doesn't have uh, – you're also, you're also playing without picking, so he really doesn't have anybody, you know, out yeah. there in the boundary that, that can do anything for him. Yeah, well, in that one, he had a really good throw to the tight end, Darnell, put it in his bread basket. But, I mean, that was a lob and wasn't really like a deep ball, you know. And I don't know what he was doing on a second interception uh, to Jack Saint. So, you know, it's just – it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, deep, I'll, go, I'll just switch to defense. I don't want to talk about stats anymore. Defense, Dean, sophomore, and letting tackles of 14. He's looking really good uh, so far this year. Uh, Rochester, he's started the last two games at D tackle towards ACL, so he's out for the year. A lot of young guys are going to be playing on the defensive side uh, coming up this week. LeCount's going to be out, but uh, we got Christopher Smith. He's probably going to take his spot. So, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting, but I wasn't too happy about the Kentucky game because it was very just I could we've all could have gone out there and called that game on ourselves. You know, just I don't even think there were 
five pass attempts. Probably would have given them more than 14, let's be honest. Yeah, I don't think there were more than five pass attempts between both teams in the first half. Just brutal. Just absolutely brutal. The one good thing is, I would say, Zamir, out of Zamir White's 136 yards, uh, 81 came after contact. So, I mean, he's he's running the ball a lot better than the first couple games of the year. That's what yeah, I'm saying. He definitely looked more explosive. So I saw I saw Ben Cleveland got hurt too. He's as of right now, he's one of like the highest rated guards in the country. Yeah, he, he got hurt. He's great. They're yeah, they're saying he's coming back. He say that he strained his neck or something. You know, I think it was just one of those games where if any anything hurt, Kirby was gonna make you sit. You know, I don't know. But Pickens, I just found out that it's been a peck strain this whole time. So hmm. I don't know what I don't know if it's more serious than that or he's just uh. being soft. Um, so but he's gonna be back this weekend too. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I guess moving on, we'll go into the Clemson versus Boston College game, a game that was a little bit closer than I think most people thought it would be. Yeah, my my blood pressure was not not in the healthy range during most of this game. Um, welcome. But, you know, oh, <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll start offensively. Obviously, playing without Trevor sucks, but uh, Big Cinco went out there and did what he had to do. I thought he looked outstanding. Just looked in control from the get-go. Never really seemed to to get too excited. Was never down himself. I mean, we we tried to ease him into the game on the first few drives, and I think we kind of limited ourselves offensively. Uh, we've shown that with Trevor back there, we were taking shots from the first play. Um, well, with DJ in there, we kind of, you know, obviously before he even took his first snap, we're down seven zip. Um, but I thought as we got behind and had to had to open up the offense for him, I thought he made some really good throws. I did notice that he's obviously he's been he's been dealing with the banged up shoulder. I don't think Joe Testator and uh, Greg McElroy did any any sort of homework on what Clemson had going, other than the fact that Trevor wasn't playing. But DJ has a little bit of a bum shoulder, and I noticed that when he's when he's throwing to his left, especially when he's trying to throw outside the numbers towards the boundary, there was a few throws where he missed, and it was mostly high. Uh, so I don't know if that's an issue with the shoulder or if it's just a mechanics thing or just just kind of a, a fluky thing where he kept missing to one side. But that's that's something that Notre Dame is definitely going to have to take a look at. But he was super efficient on third downs. I mean, in critical, critical moments, he, you know, we seemed to get behind the chains a little bit, but he was super efficient. I mean, on third downs, I can go through the list here, but, you know, on a third and 16, he hit Amari Rogers for 20. Uh, third and three, uh, in the beginning of the third quarter, he hits Travis for 33 down the sideline. Third and 10, he goes to Powell for 15. Third and seven goes back to Powell for 14. I mean, there's there's eight or nine throws that he converted on third down, which as a freshman quarterback, you know, you're behind. You're not supposed to be behind. He was nails the whole time. Uh, so really impressed with that. Uh, the O-line, I talked about this last week, and I've I've touched on it, you know, continuously, but I've – I keep expecting this group to start to play better. Uh, obviously, four new starters with Jackson Carmen, and you keep thinking every week, okay, well, they're they're more experienced. Communication will get better. Things will things will start to mesh. But I'm, I'm to the point now where I I just think we're just not physical. I mean, in pass protection, we're we're really good. Frankly, we're we're really good in pass protection. But you know, teams that teams that have good physical defensive lines, 
they they really shouldn't have a whole lot of issues with this um, in terms of stopping the run. So I think that's going to be a big deal with Notre Dame coming up. But Boston College, you know, they had they have athletic defensive linemen, but they're really not that big. Um, they're nothing to write home about, which is no knock on them. I mean, it is what it is. But they were able to neutralize us running the football all day. Uh, they were going to stack the box like every team has. Uh, obviously, the first thing you want to do is take away Travis because if you let Travis go for 150 on the ground, it's it's over with. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing is that our wide receiver group just doesn't scare teams out of the box. That's that's a big issue for us right now. Um, but, you know, we're going to have to continue to get creative with Travis and try and neutralize the fact that we can't really run up the middle right now. Um, speaking of outside receivers, uh, Cornell Powell had a huge game. I think he had 10 catches for like 110 yards. Um, and on third down, he was the dude. Uh, so it's always – we always talk about third and Renfro. We're not going to talk about third and Powell now, are we? But he had a huge game, fifth-year guy. They talked about him during fall camp. He's been somebody that's just kind of buried on the depth chart, but he apparently was just going off all fall. One one scrimmage, he apparently had like 170 yards and three touchdowns. Just no one can guard him. And I don't know if that's more indicative of Cornell Powell or, or our secondary, but, um, you know, he was a safety blanket for DJ. And really since the Tech game, he's he's – Strong. He had a touchdown against Tech and a couple of really good catches and runs. Uh, Syracuse opening score of the game is Cornell. Um, so easily his biggest game of his career. Um, but he's going to have to continue to play well. We're going to get Lassen and Gata back this week. But I thought against BC, they they played off of him a little bit, and he was, he was able to create space underneath. Uh, really didn't push the field with him too much. But I thought the offense as a whole looked really good against BC. Their defense, I mean – like I said, really nothing to write home about. So I felt comfortable with the fact that we are continuing to move the ball. Obviously, the fumble on the goal line with Travis, that's that can't happen. I've I've rewatched that play a million times and I can't figure out if it was supposed to be a boot for DJ to roll back out to his left because there's no one there. I don't know if Niles Pickney coming across the formation is supposed to hold there instead of letting two guys just run free. Uh, I don't really know what the play was supposed to be or if it was just supposed to be a straight handoff to Travis and the the handoff was bad. I really don't well, know. Well, you can't you can't put the ball above. I mean, you, you put it on his shoulder shoulder pads mm -hmm. like on his chest. That ball's got to be in his his gut. So I mean, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like it was just it was kind of a mixture of both. Travis didn't secure it. It looked like, but I mean, it, it Travis was trying to get the ball right here. I don't know. That's, yeah. I mean, that sucks because you got to think, like I said, DJ with a bum is probably not getting to third and one if you have DJ up the middle twice. Let's just be honest here. I mean, even with your offensive line being so-so, you got a 250-pound quarterback. Just run him inside. That's that's it. Um, so, and then at the end of the game, we had the chance to ice it with a first down, but we couldn't get a yard. We had we had second and three, and then third and one, and couldn't get it. Had to punt, give them a chance to to go back down the field. But defensively, um, we're not going to about the first half. I mean, it was probably the worst half of football I've seen under Brent Venable's defense. I mean, I thought that – I talked last week at nauseam about how impressed I was with, with Jerkovic and – or Jakovic, however you say it, uh, Frank Signetti and the whole Boston College offensive scheme. Uh, so they came out and they really found some holes in what we did. Um, they just exploited us on the first two drives. Obviously, their, their first drive was, I mean, basically scripted plays and it – Work to perfection. Uh, second drive, they just continued to do the same thing, deep crossing routes. We just couldn't cover it. Um, so, but but Dracovic started the game super hot. 
Uh, he only fit to finish the game completing about 50% of his passes, but the first half he was, he was on man. But, you know, I, to their credit, the, the game plan was, was good. Uh, they had a lot of, a lot of solid things on there and it worked. Uh, but the second half, I mean, this is, I guess before I go to the second half, we'll talk about the play that really, really got under my skin, but I guess there's about three and a half minutes left in the, in the first half, uh, the clock's rolling down. And then you have, you have the teams come on and draw us off sides, but it's, it's so frustrating because that's a fifth year senior that jumped off sides. And that was Pickney. Like you, you have to understand it. I mean, I don't think they're going to be that ballsy. What are they going to do? Run a QB sneak with the holder? Come on. Yeah, it, was, it was a little Mario like, back there holding the ball. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, guys. This is Joe Testator's son. That's a token offer. That's like Will Sweeney coming up and us being like, oh, oh, no. I mean, it's it's things like that that just – we just looked out of sync. But, you know, to the second half, uh, this is this is why Brent Venable gets, gets paid the way he does. Because I don't know what was fixed. I don't know if it was a – if it was an offensive thing. But, I mean, just – just the fl- the switch was flipped. Clearly, uh, they had 75 yards of offense in the second half. Uh, they did kill themselves with penalties a few times, um, but the biggest thing was that our I don't know if it was just wearing down their offensive line, but we finally got some pressure. Uh, Brian Bercy was just a dude running up the a gap the entire second half. Um, their tackles really contained us the whole time. Xavier Thomas had a couple of uh, quarterback hurries and pressures, but. I mean, again, Dracovic finished the game completing 50%. He went into halftime completing, like, I think a little bit over two-thirds of his passes. So, uh, you know, moving forward, obviously it's huge to come back. Uh, that's the biggest comeback in the history of the Death Valley. Um, but, you know, I think if Trevor's in this game, probably would have started the game a little bit hotter, uh, would have been more aggressive offensively and probably not gotten in such a big hole. Um, but, I mean, really this is more indicative of the defense, I think, the announcers talk the entire time about how big it is not having Trevor. It's way more important for us to have Tyler Davis and James Skowski up the middle. Like for, for what Devaney was talking about, you know, not having your nose tackle, that's, that's your guy at the point of attack. So then imagine taking away Jordan Davis, then taking the Kobe Dean from behind him. I mean, that's, that's a killer for your defense. Uh, so I think, I think that was something that, that really showed up on tape. Um, but our defense, they need to get healthy. Um, I'll, I'll update the injuries when we get get into the, uh, the, the previews. But I, I think overall, again, just, just showing a ton of fight. I think an average team in that situation, you roll over and you get blown out. That's how that game goes. Most good teams, if you go into halftime down 15, the odds of you coming back and winning and controlling the second half like we did are pretty low, uh, frankly. So I'm, you know, just – well, just impressive second half for us. Um, but again, I think the big takeaway is, is the defense got to get healthy, or we got to find find ways to mask our holes. And then, then DJ, DJ's a stud, man. I'm I'm excited to see him this week against Notre Dame. So, you know, it is what it is. Good win. Yeah. Well, I guess we can move on to the next ACC game in Georgia Tech versus Notre Dame. So, Sid, what you got? Better overall this week. I mean. I feel like we came out with a, more of a game plan of not get blown out kind of deal. The past two weeks, we've, we've not just come out out of the gate just slow. Offensively, I'm not really sure Jeff had a – I mean, um, Dave Patnode had a good good plan as the coordinator. I don't really know what we were trying to do. We didn't drop back a ton and, and try to 
you know, get intermediate passes, get Jeff going like we've done in the past games that, you know, that bodes well for us. And so I don't know why we didn't do that. We didn't share reps at, uh, at tailback very well. Jordan Mason didn't get nearly enough touches. Dante didn't get any touches. We used Jameer way too much. And we're not getting in the ball in space. Everything is predictable. We run the same screenplay or the same option route that Jameer has to run. And it's just getting covered by this point because teams are watching film on it. So um, I, I think we're, we lack the ability to show uh, a little creativeness on the offensive side of the ball. And it hurts us being a young team because we're not good enough just to line up and run what we have. We have to be creative. So that, that's frustrating. Um, I, I think Dave obviously needs a little bit more time. I'm just not impressed by his inability to do some different things. We're not running two back sets. We have some really explosive running backs. So just things like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, for some reason, both left, both tackles on the offensive line just got abused. I mean, Notre Dame has some athletic defensive ends, but this is the first game where they both had a bad game. Um, and that cost us. Penalties were much better. We fixed the whole false start thing that kept happening, but we also changed the cadence to where Jeff gives a clap and then the center, you know, snaps it when the center's ready to snap it. So it's kind of hard for an offensive lineman to, to go off a cadence. We had that was an issue. So we only had one of those, which ended up costing us because uh, Jalen made a nice catch after Jeff made a nice throw across down the middle. And uh, then we turned around and false start, backed us up five, and then our right tackle completely missed uh, defensive end and a strip sack, turned the ball over. So offensive side of the ball was frustrating. Defensive side of the ball, I'll keep it pretty simple. Defensive line is playing above their talent level right now. Linebackers are playing way below. Even though there's not a lot of talent, it's still just piss poor at linebacker. David is still – um, he's over pursuing, he's filling gaps that are not his, he's taking other responsibilities. And at this point, you know, playing 37 years at linebacker, you, you can't be doing that. So he's a double senior. Yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah. In your sixth year at linebacker, if you ain't doing it yet, it ain't going to happen. So I think we're going to get to the point here soon where you'll start seeing, I mean, he played his least amount of snaps this week. So that's good. We're seeing his, uh, go down we got third down stops when he was off the field I mean there were three different times where we finally got a defensive stop and I look and David's on the sideline holding his helmet like cheering with the team because they got off this the field so I'm like okay well David wasn't on the field I think there might be something to that Demetrius Knight struggles still a little bit at linebacker but he's athletic and covers guys and makes plays in space I'm much more like if if Demetrius is young and he's learning linebacker and he makes mistakes I'll take it over David being six-year senior, slow, a little bit below average athleticism for a linebacker and just continuing to show us the same shit. So uh, that's frustrating. Defensive tackle, we got a lot of push up front, as you said, Sam, and we're still missing. We haven't had our defensive tackle all year, TK Chemezda towards Achilles in the beginning of the year. So I mean, we're, we're moving defense. We're beefing up defensive ends and moving them to D tackle. And Mike Lockhart has only played three years of football um, in his life, and he was getting good pressure at the middle. So I feel like we're doing really well with interior defensive linemen and defensive end. Jordan Dominic is still playing really well. So we got to get Antonius back, but uh, they're playing above. And special teams, last thing, dude, 
I don't know what Presley's, Presley's deal was. He averaged like 46.1 per punt. That's 20 yards less. Um, this was his first week not getting a Ray Guy Award nomination, so not sure what his deal was. And then kicker, I don't even know I would try at this point. So I'd just rather us not see us not, – not line up for a field goal the rest of the year. It's that bad. So, I mean, I don't even want to talk about that. So, um, <laughs> score – the score could have been better, could have been worse. I mean, as y'all said, Brian was trying to score at the end. At least we stopped him. I mean, that's props to the guys for showing up on the last snap and, you know, stuffing somebody at the end. So, I don't know. I, I was a little bit more pleased. We didn't get up with the big play on defense, so maybe there's a little bit more coaching going on over there, but we'll see. That's all I got, really. All right, we'll get into some questions now. Obviously, one of the bigger games of last week um, was Texas upsetting Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, so with that, Oklahoma State dropped from number six down to number 14. Uh, they were the final undefeated team in the Big 12. Uh, so now everybody has at least one loss. Uh, so does the Big 12, did they just did they just play themselves out of the playoff discussion? I don't know. Like, we were sitting there watching it with Connor, and um, Jacob remembers I asked Connor, I was like, who do you want to win this game? And he said Oklahoma State because it makes it a little bit easier, the path easier for Oklahoma to make it. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, well, does a Big 12 team even get in at that point? So I really haven't thought about it and to give an answer. I think it's going to be tough because there's going to be pressure from – Oh, I'm sorry, I might have said Big Ten, but the Big 12. I think there's going to be pressure from the Big Ten if, you know, Ohio State runs 8-0. I don't think they should, but I think they're going to get in over, you know, a Big 12 team that, I mean, everybody's just kind of beating everybody over there. So, I don't know. I think they're making it hard on themselves. Oklahoma State, I don't know what the deal was, but. Yeah, yeah. My, I mean, my opinion on this is just that if 14 is your highest ranked team, I mean, we're – past the halfway point for the ACC and the Big 12. So it's kind of like, you know, Texas can beat anybody on any weekend, but they can lose to anybody. Iowa State's the same way. Oklahoma's shown that if you can get pressure on on Rattler, then he's he's a liability. So I think if Oklahoma goes down and beats Oklahoma State, it's done. It's Because I don't think Oklahoma's getting in at this point. I just don't. Uh, when you look at, you know, defensively, they played better than I think in recent years, but I don't – I think the stigma's still there. Uh, so, obviously, if Ohio State's undefeated, I mean, they're ready to go ahead and give Justin Fields the Heisman like yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's pretty cut and dry. I think if, if Cincinnati's undefeated, I think Cincinnati will probably get an over a, over a one loss. Well, I say that if Oklahoma State runs the table, they could probably get in. Uh, but I think that's really their only chance. They're going to have to beat, beat Oklahoma, and I don't think they will. So, I don't see it turning out super well for the Big 12 in terms of having a team in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I mean, there, there's obviously a way that it could happen, but like you said, I just don't see Oklahoma State running the table because they're, I mean, they're really the only one that can get in. So, yeah, I think they're pretty much out of the playoff discussion. Yeah, I'd have to agree because you got Cincinnati and uh, BYU sitting there undefeated. You know, I'm glad you bring that up. I would love to see Cincinnati get in, and when UCF hasn't been able to get in, that yeah. would just eat UCF fans alive. But anyways, but, not to digress, uh, but yeah, but I mean, which is I mean, why it's so important to be number one, so you can get Cincinnati. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just I feel like 
you know, if those two teams go undefeated, I mean, it's hard not to put them at the – or if one of them stays undefeated, it's hard not to put them at the four spot. Obviously, they're not as good as those teams that are going to be one, two, and three. But at the same time, the whole point of the playoff is to get a team in there that doesn't ever get the chance and has a good year. Um, so, I mean, it depends. I don't, I don't think – they're gonna Big Twelve is gonna have a team in the playoff, but you never know. I mean, this season's been crazy already, and I'm sure it's gonna get crazier. So you know, it's yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what's gonna happen. Yeah. So so kind of kind of dovetailing off that, um, there's a couple coaches on here that we've we've talked about uh, in previous weeks as being on the hot seat. Obviously, one of those guys is Tom Herman, who continues to pull top ten wins out of his ass when he needs them most. Uh, this this week included, and another guy that always seems to the last two or three years, it seems like they've been going down a, the wrong path. And the next thing you know, they they beat somebody they shouldn't. They real, they they pop off a couple of wins against the teams they're supposed to beat. Next thing you know, they have a good season. So that's pretty much Auburn football in a nutshell. And Gus Malzahn and, and Tom Herman both huge week, huge wins this last weekend. This was actually the biggest margin of victory Auburn's ever had over LSU. Bo Nix played out of his mind. I mean, I don't know if this is an LSU issue or what, but I, I say all that to say this. Do you think those guys saved their job this weekend? I think in a season like this year, you know, people are going to be strapped for money. And Jacob said in the past, these are the kind of games that Gus saves his job on every year. And I think, unfortunately, for Auburn fans, he has. I, I mean, they're going, they're looking at it like, okay, well, look what the offense did with Bo. He's showing progression and blah, blah, blah. And they're more tempted to lengthen that leash a little bit, especially being strapped for cash in a, in a shortened season and, you know, not, less revenue. So, I, I think, yeah, I, I think Gus definitely um, extended his leash a little bit and saved his job. I was just going to say I agree with the whole COVID thing and the money situation that they probably weren't going to get fired after this year anyways, um, unless they were just doing horribly. But I think this is a game that definitely, you know, cooled their seats down a little bit. I mean, two big wins. Auburn absolutely destroyed LSU. And then, you know, Texas came out with the, with the dub against OK State. So I think they're going to be around for at least one or two more years. Yeah. I was going to say, I think uh, Tom Herman saved his job a lot more than Gus. I think the refs, the referees have saved Gus's job uh, <laughs> this year so far. They should have two more losses, but, you know, how those two calls went. Yeah, definitely Arkansas, because you don't know how the last four minutes are going to go against Ole Miss, but Arkansas, that's an L. That's a straight L. Yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't think he was going to get fired, but uh, – I mean – If I was an Auburn fan, I wouldn't want Gus there much longer. I mean, Gus's, Gus's payout is like 15, I think, if they were to get rid of him. So, I think that would be tough anyways. But Texas, they, they're always sitting on money. And yeah, if, Texas ain't hurting, bro. If people are pissed off enough, <laughs> I, I think if he loses to Oklahoma – say Texas and Oklahoma end up again playing at the end of the year and he loses to Oklahoma again, that would make him one in five all-time or one one in six. Either one of the, I think he's one in five. Uh, that, that eats Texas alive, losing to Oklahoma like that. So, he's uh, – I think he's still definitely on the hot seat, even though he had a good win against 
uh, Oklahoma State. I I think his seat's a little bit a little bit warmer than than Gus. Yeah, I'll I'll finish this off just by saying I think I don't necessarily think Gus was in danger. I mean, when you look at their schedule, they beat Kentucky. That's a team they should beat. Georgia throttled them. You know, they got a gift against Arkansas. They probably could have beaten South Carolina. I feel like that's probably two pretty even teams. Um, so that's not a great look for Gus. But, you know, they beat Ole Miss. They beat LSU. That's probably not a game you expect them to win. I mean, they have Mississippi State and Tennessee coming up. Those are two winnable games for, for Auburn. I mean, I think when you look at it, they, they end the season with, with Bama and A&M. So, I mean, realistically for them, if they can get to six and four, I mean, it is what it is. They are what they are. I don't think you're going into the end of the season with the expectation that this is an SEC championship caliber team or a national championship caliber team. Yeah. Um, but I will say for Herman, if 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 Mike Gundy blows him out, that's that's probably it for him. I don't know if he makes it Saturday. Seriously. I mean, because you have to think that Texas ain't hurting for the money. So if they can if they feel like they have another candidate that they can go get, I don't I don't think they would have any problem telling him to to kick rocks. So yeah. I think he definitely definitely gave himself a longer leash, probably probably with COVID, they're not they're not looking to just spend a bunch of money, you know, on his buyout and then spend another boatload of cash on a on a, uh, a head coaching search. But you know, it's it's Texas and they they desperately want to get back to what they used to be. Yeah. So It'll be interesting yeah. to see. I think if, if if Gus wins the next two weeks and they can get to six wins, uh, they'll be fine. But for Texas, like I said, they, they could win or lose to anybody any given week. So that's it's tough to say Herman saved himself. Um, moving on, this is this is something we've gotten into a little bit in the last few weeks is, is these trivia questions. Uh, so I've, I've got four conferences here, the ACC, the American, the Big 12, and the SEC. Uh, and I want to see if you guys can match up which is which the first conference uh, 50% of teams have a losing record. The second conference, 64% of teams have a losing record. Third conference, only 40% have a losing record. And the fifth again, or excuse me, the, the fourth uh, conference has 50% losing. Uh, so I want to see if you guys can, can match these up. So, so I guess, well, I guess we'll start with the ones that are 50%. I have no idea. Honestly, I'll go ahead and say it. I think the ACC has one of the teams, one of the higher. It's definitely not the not the forty. Um, so we have a losing record. Pitt has a losing record. Syracuse has a losing record. Louisville has a losing record. Florida State has a losing record. Duke has a losing record. That's almost half your teams there. I think I think the American is the one with forty percent. I, I'm going to go with the SEC being a 50%. Eh. No bueno. Are, the, are, they, are they 64%? Probably. The I SEC has nine of 14 teams below 500 right now. I mean, that makes sense. It just means more. They play, I mean, shit, they play each other every week. Well, so does every other conference. I mean, we have a conference-only schedule. That's, but that's why that's why the American is the lowest, right? Nope. <laughs> the ACC is the lowest, isn't it? So, did I count up every team that has a losing record in my – I just counted them all for them right there. Yeah, you're missing one, though. 
Uh, Wake. Wake Forest? No, Wake Forest is actually four and two. NC State, no. Yep. Yeah. So the ACC is sitting at 50%. Seven of your teams have a losing record at 40%. This is this one's for you, Connor. We talked about fringe big uh, power five teams. The Big 12 actually, you know, now granted, there's only 10 teams, but six of them have a winning record. So just cannibalizing each other. And obviously that leaves the American at, at 50% as well. So, you know, I think it's, it's just interesting to see I think your, your SEC fans will probably say most teams are losing because there's a lot of parity in the league. Every team's good. But I think you can uh, say that for SEC every – Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's my take on it. I don't I, – I think the SEC is literally Bama. Then you go down a little bit and you have Georgia and Florida, and then you have a pretty steep drop-off from everyone else. And I think the ACC and the Big Ten are the same way. Um, I think this just plays Dame. into – this just plays into the conversation about what the, the playoffs done in creating two levels of teams and the top levels there's, you know, Alabama, there's Georgia, and then throw in a LSU or Florida every other year. But then the rest, there's just so much parity and it's the same way in the ACC other than it's just pretty much Clemson. And then if you want yeah. to throw in Notre Dame, if they play, whatever, that's just how these leagues have gone. And that's the structure we're seeing in college football right now. So I think in every league you're starting to – I mean, Big 12, everybody's just beating everybody because it's who can score 70 points first pretty much in those games. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the rich are getting richer and the poor are suffering probably more than they have been recently. So, yeah. you know, it it is what it is. It's just interesting to see in the all-conference system, uh, you know, which conferences are, are seem to do better. I don't know if it says more that your, your Big 12 teams – Almost none of them have a losing record, but none of them are undefeated. So it's almost like they're beating up on each other, which really is bad for the conference as a whole because you want somebody to get in the playoff and, and bankroll everyone else. So that was a good I don't question. know, just just something interesting to look at. I like I had I had no idea. I thought the American would have been running with that. I was shocked. Yeah, I mean the American you have Cincinnati's a good team. Uh, Memphis is a good team. UCF's a good team. Uh, but then basically everybody else is, is just kind of beating up BYU's on each other. They, the they suck. Do what? BYU's an independent. independent. They're independent. Yeah, BYU's independent. They're the Morgan, Mormon League, son. <laughs> I yep. should know that, bro. I play that with them in this You got to be 27 to play in that league, dog. <laughs> yeah, you know what's crazy about that? It's their whole athletic program. Like, they're so strict about not playing on Sundays. Like, their basketball team. That's like a huge scheduling conflict. Yep. They can't play Sunday games. Yeah. So, but you know, we digress. Uh, Sid, you have a you have a little bit of recruiting trivia for us. Yeah. Let's hear this one. So I came across this one, um, and this one really shocked me. So I'm going to give y'all four teams, and I'm going to give you their uh, class rankings, just how many top ten finishes and how many top twenty finishes they have since rivals started doing recruiting in 2002. So, okay. I want y'all to mo- note these teams. Don't look them up. And I think it's going to come to a shock. So, our four programs are going to be Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, Miami, and Nebraska. If I need to repeat those, let okay. me know. No, we're good. Okay. So, I'm going to give you their top uh, finishes 
over the last 18 years or so. One of these programs over the last 20 years has one top 10 class and eight top 20 classes. Okay. Okay. One of these programs has seven top 10 classes and only two top classes. One of these programs okay. has zero top 10 classes and two top 20 classes. So not too hot. And then yeah, that of, don't sound great. One of these programs has zero top 10 finishes and zero top 20 finishes Ooh. in recruiting. So zero and zero. I'm going Nebraska on that one. All day. In, in 18 years. In 18 years. Oh, tell me out of Nebraska, Miami, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, who has zero top 10, zero top 20. I'm going Nebraska. Easy. Devinny, who you got? Don't look it up, dog. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking Nebraska too, because I mean, it's not Miami. Okay. It's probably not Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I want to say Nebraska as well. So Nebraska is our consensus. So I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to. I'm going to say. I'm going to say Virginia Tech. Okay. It's Wisconsin. Wisconsin has zero top ten and zero top twenty finishes in the recruiting since Rivals started covering oh. recruiting. Without a doubt, the best team in the last and. Six Listen, seven years. And their last two classes has finished 27 and 28, respectively. And that's their only two top 30 classes in all of Rivals for history recruiting, Wisconsin. Sheesh. Wow. That's shocking mm. to me. That's that is, that is shocking. almost <laughs> hard to do. They're 175 and 66 over that time period. Wow. All right. Does that, okay, speak more on, does that speak more on recruiting or, or big coaching? Big t- see, that was going to be my thing. <laughs> is, is, it, is it recruiting, coaching, or is it conference? Probably just a mixture. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's – I don't think so, that's bad recruiting. I mean, you got to look at guys that are three stars and think, okay, I can realistically get this kid. I, I, you know, if you can evaluate and you can coach – you can get guys that maybe have a weakness here or there and you coach them up. And next thing you know, you have freaking Monty ball. You got, you know, I guess they got Russell Wilson out of the transfer portal, but he was, he was nothing as a recruit. I mean, QT was a three-star. Now he's in the league. Yeah, there you go. I mean, they got, got Nolan Rucci, who's French yeah. five-star for the 2021 class, but yeah, that's, I just thought that's that was besides the point. I just thought that was interesting. So they were the worst out of this group of four. So moving on. Our next one, who would be zero top 10 and two top 20? You got Miami, Nebraska, or Virginia Tech. I would go, so I would go Virginia 10. Tech right, right there. Okay, Jacob? I'm just going to go Nebraska. Okay, Devinny, who you got? Cornhuskers. Okay, Sam got it. Virginia Tech, um, they have zero top 10, two top 20s. Their average is 31 over those periods of time, and they're 168 and 76 <laughs> over that time period. I wonder so, what would happen if you took out the last like three years. Uh, their average would would like, probably go up. Like from 2017, 2018, 2019. Like if you took that away, they'd probably have right. a better record than than Wisconsin would in that time. Yeah, definitely. Most and their average would be up because their last three classes have been piss poor. Yeah. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so we got two programs left, and I think this one's pretty easy. Which team has? Seven top ten and two top twenties, and they're oh, you gotta go Miami, 15. right? The U, baby. Yeah. So Miami. are you ready for their overall? Yep. 
over the last over that time period. 149 oh, in 86, the third worst. Yikes. And they have what, the best what, what year did what year did Frank Gore leave? Was he like was he 03, 04? Because that's uh, pretty much when they stopped being good. Yeah. I, I would guess. So then Nebraska had one top ten class, eight top twenty classes, which is shocking to me. And their average is 23 at Nebraska. And they're, they have the worst record over that time period at 138-95. It's not good. They're getting beat up. They're getting beat up by Wisconsin. Yeah. I guess that shows the importance yeah. of coaching. 100%. So I just thought that was pretty interesting. I came across that, and I said I would have said no way in hell Wisconsin had the worst recruiting classes over that period of time. The but. thing that's most interesting about that, especially for Wisconsin, is that I mean, for Virginia Tech up until, what was it, I think 15 or 16 when, when Beamer was there, I mean, it's – I I knew Beamer was never like a huge recruiting guy, but it's I almost surprised that he didn't do more given that he had a little bit more. So, Wisconsin, you know, with a couple different coaches, obviously that includes Paul Christ, Bielema. I don't know who was there before him when they had Ron Dane and stuff in the early 2000s, but those are some really good teams with – a handful of different coaches. At least at Virginia Tech, you have some consistency. Bud Foster and, and Beamer were there the whole time. So just just something interesting. And then finally, um, this is this is election week. Um, so not to get political, but I do want to want to want to throw this one out there. Um, so over the past three presidents, uh, Trump, Obama, and George W. Bush, um, which team has the most wins under Trump? Do you think? Ah, we'd have to go Clemson. Clemson. Yeah, Clemson. Yeah, easy one there. Clemson has 48 wins since Trump took office. Um, and then what about what about Obama? Alabama. Probably another easy one. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama. Easy. Yep, easy. Bama. Easy. Let's see. Bama has 100 wins in the eight years that Obama was in office. Now for George Bush, obviously this one is this one is actually a three-way tie. Who y'all got for who y'all got here? I think USC has to be in that. USC's in there. Um, we're going Texas. No, nah, Texas isn't one of them. Oklahoma, Oklahoma is oh. the, the Adrian Peterson era. Yep. Is it an SEC squad or was it Florida State? It is a group of five. Hmm. Oh, what group of five has been good? Boise State. Yeah. Oh, oh, damn it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes so, sense. But this is something interesting to look at. So, those three teams are tied with 88 wins in eight years. So, I mean, that's about 10 wins a year. Then you consider that Bama had 100 in the eight years of Obama. That is ridiculous. <laughs> ah, darn. Yeah. Hey, boys, that's a whole extra season worth of going undefeated, dude. All right, anyways, moving on to the game previews, we'll start off with a hot one, the Georgia versus Florida game. Big so boy Danny, football. Oh, daddy. It just means more, I guess. It just means more. Apparently, it means more losses right now. (laughs) You're right. Um, Shoot. Well, we all know Florida's got dogs on offense. Uh, Kadarius Toney looks like a – what was his name? Austin? Tavon Austin? Yeah, a little human joystick. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a beast. He has great agility. He's a – obviously, we all know Kyle Pitts. We've talked about him in the podcast before. Absolute beast. Um, you know, their offense is good, man. Uh, Trask has thrown 18 touchdowns, only two picks. 
1,400 yards, I think. You know, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, their defense isn't the best in the world, but, you know, they looked better against Missouri. Missouri is not a great offensive unit, but, you know, they cleaned a little bit up last week against Missouri. Uh, they, don't, they don't run the ball that much. Um, their lead rusher only has like 135 yards. So, you know, I trust our rush defense to do pretty well there because I don't think they're going to run, you know, 20, 20 plus times a game like Kentucky and Alabama did. Um, you know, they're going to focus on the on their pass game because that's what they're best at. And that's what they've shown, averaging 42 points a game. Um, their average yards uh, per pass attempt is 10, which is ridiculous uh, when you think about it. Defense is gonna be is gonna be interesting for Georgia because we got uh, the safeties. Uh, LeCount's gonna be out. Uh, Lewis Stein or Seen, you know, however you want to say it, tomato tomato. He'll be back there, and we'll also start uh, Christopher Smith or Chris Smith. He's got some playing time, but you know, I'm I'm kind of scared on how they're gonna. You know, cover Pitts and Tony because you know the linebackers aren't going to be able to cover them. So you're going to have to put some safeties on them uh, most of the time. Um, linebackers, uh, Nicobe and Monty, you know they're they're pretty good at covering in coverage. So I mean, it's it it was just like the Alabama game. It depends who's going to play better. Is our offense going to play better than? Florida's defense because I know our defense will come out there ready to play and Florida's offense will so I'm interested to see how it's going to go down uh you know it's I don't really if Stetson <laughs> keeps playing like he is I don't think it's going to go well to be quite honest with you I hope they I hope Tom Munkin utilizes him a lot more in play action and you know throws not really in the run, but where he has to move around because it looks like he throws better. He gets a better throwing lane where he can see over everybody because him sitting back in the pocket looking over those six five six six dudes uh, has gone well the past two games. And like Sam said earlier, I think defenses are starting to pick up on that and just trying to contain him in the pocket because he can, he can get out of the pocket and scramble well, but he hasn't been making good decisions like we've seen. It's rough. It's rough. If we want to be a championship caliber team, either we're going to have to do something else at quarterback or he's going to have to throw his nuts on the table and, <laughs> you know, get after it this, this Saturday because it's ridiculous, man. I mean, it's just – it's not looking too good. And I was really excited, excited this year to have a – you know, I thought our offense was going to look not as good as Florida's this year, but something like it. And it's looked the same as when Fromm was there. Probably worse the past two games. But yeah. So that's going to be the big question. Does Stetson throw his nuts on the table at the cocktail party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the question of the week, man. But, you know, uh, McIntosh is coming back. Pickens is coming back. So we'll get to utilize those guys a little more. I hope they – you know, throw to Cook like they've been doing the past two games out of the backfield. He's shown that he 
is really good in open space. We've known that for a while. I'm finally glad that we're going to utilize him a little more. I don't really know what else to say about it. I mean, because I don't know what offense is going to show up the first half of the Alabama game or the whole game against Kentucky. So I guess, uh, I guess we'll see. I, I read something on Kyle Trask, and I, obviously you guys have watched Florida play. I think the most compelling thing you see about Kyle Trask is, one, he's not good under pressure. We know that. That was the case last year. It hasn't really improved this year. The uh, second thing we know sorry is that he's got, you, a, but... he's got a whole stable of wide receivers that are, like, well above average, like three or four really good ones. Yeah. So something I thought was interesting is that um, after the catch, on throws of nine yards or fewer, Florida's receiving core is averaging 8.7 yards after the catch. So basically 30% of their explosive plays, which are passes of, you know, 15 or more yards, basically all of that is coming on short passes underneath stuff. You throw it to Kadarius Tony on a screen play, it's blown up. Next thing you know, he's in the end zone. Yeah. So it's like I feel like Kyle Trask is very efficient. He does what they ask him to do, but they don't ask him to do a whole lot. I mean, he doesn't – they don't really have to push the field a ton. They will. Um, but they don't hit a ton of big plays with – passes of air yardage a lot of it's yards after catch Tony making a play Pitts getting open and catching a block I mean I think I think Trask is a good quarterback but I I definitely don't think he's one of the elite like his stats would indicate so that's my take on it I think obviously Georgia playing shorthanded without a couple of safeties is this is not the team you want to break in new guys in the secondary against yeah because <laughs> um, they're already a matchup nightmare so I think yeah I think that's rough, but, you know, I I don't really know what Florida's offensive line is going to look like. They haven't seen a, you know, a real test like Georgia. Carolina has a good defensive line, but I think Georgia's just on probably on a different level in terms of yeah. pressure, like getting pressure per play. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a really good game. I'm I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Going going off the, uh, the pressure, what you're saying, Trask, he's only been – uh, sacked four times all year. So because they throw the ball I, quick, I they get the ball out of his hands. Yeah, they get it out quick. Um, and another a key matchup to watch um, is Jamari uh, Sawyer and Cox going at it. Um, yeah, they played they played ball before they were even at Georgia together. So they they've known each other growing up, and they're about to go at it. Um, it, outside yeah. linebacker and <laughs> tackle, so you know. Hell yeah! It's it's gonna be fun to watch, man. He said it's personal. Cox came out and said a couple weeks ago before they lost to A and M that yeah, the Georgia game. I saw that. Personal. I mean, and it and it's there's like a seventy percent chance of rain. Hurricane Etna is supposed to make landfall nice. around that, that time Saturday afternoon. So. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I sure. mean, if it's if it's pissing rain and Georgia wants to run the football, I mean, let's go. That seems yeah. to play right in y'all's favor. Well, turnovers yeah. is gonna be key. Yeah, as always. Not on our side. Stetson's gonna have to make some <laughs> plays. Let's be honest. He is. Florida's gonna score. Stetson's gonna have to make some throws. So yeah. Florida's definitely gonna score, but I don't think they're gonna put up forty-two what they've been averaging. But our all Stetson's gonna have to keep 
our defense in the game. We're going to have to run the ball. Time possession's key. Yep. I mean, A&M ran for 200 yards against them. Is, is George Pickens back? Do we know that for sure yet? Yeah, I said that uh, earlier. Okay. All right, well, I guess I'll go into the Carolina versus Texas A&M game. I guess to start off, there were some rumblings that Luke Doty might be getting the start in this game after Colin Hill's poor performance against LSU. But Muschamp came out and said that Colin Hill will be starting. So, you know, I guess it is what it is. But getting in – yeah, yeah. But getting into Texas A&M, they're a solid team. They started off slow, uh, barely beating Vandy and then getting blown out by Bama. But after that, they've they've really been hitting their stride. They beat Florida, and they've won their last three. Um, the offense has played pretty well. Kelamon is, is quietly putting up some pretty good numbers over there. Uh, Isaiah Spiller, the running back, has been playing really well. And I guess you could attribute some of that to them having, you know, a lot of upperclassmen across the offensive line that have been playing really well this year. Their backup running back, Anaya Smith, is actually their leading receiver, but they use him in a lot of different ways. Uh, He's a zero-of-the-week candidate for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they do a lot of different things with him. They put him in the slot. You know, they run routes out of the backfield, stuff like that. He's not really – uh, as much of a ball carrier as Isaiah Spiller is, but he can still hurt you in a lot of different ways. They use their tight end a lot. Uh, Weidermeyer, he's he's a pretty good player, and he's I think he's six five. So you know he's a guy that can go up and get it. And then they have some young receivers that have also come in and, and done some good things. And then over to the defensive side, their defense is is also pretty solid. They got veterans across the defensive line and. Um, their guy on the edge, uh, Michael Clemens, has four sacks on the season. He's been playing really well. Uh, their top tackler is their senior linebacker, Buddy Johnson, uh, Sam's cousin, actually. Yeah, we go way back. <laughs> no, but he's – Can't wait he's, to see him at family Christmas. He's, he's a stout guy that doesn't, doesn't miss many tackles. Um, and then their secondary is pretty, pretty solid, too. Nothing really necessary to write home about, but they, they haven't been too bad. So I guess just the, the keys to the, for the game, South Carolina has to establish the run and they need to win time of possession, uh, keep Texas A&M's offense off the field uh, for as long as possible. And then defense just has to do a better job getting into the backfield, getting to the quarterback and stopping the run. So, I mean, LSU, they didn't, they did a horrible job stopping the run. They did, they did a horrible job getting to the quarterback. So they need to make some changes and, and do much better this week. And, Hopefully South Carolina doesn't run that soft zone again uh, like they did against LSU. But, you know, this this is going to be a tough game. I really don't see it going well. I mean, I guess depending on which which team comes to play, you know, the team that beat Auburn or the team that lost to LSU because it's really a toss-up, you know. So I could, see, I could see us winning this game, <clears throat> but I could also see us losing by, you know, 21-plus. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think I think the biggest difference this year for AM is Kellen Mond. I mean, he's been starting since he was a freshman, and then I think he had a huge game against Clemson um, in College Station in 2018 as a sophomore, and then kind of never really got back to that point. Um, and, and Jimbo Fisher is supposed to be this quarterback guy, so I think it's it's interesting. And you know, guys develop differently, but he seems to have taken the next step, just in the sense that he's not turning the ball over. He's he's finding you know a Smith and guys like that underneath that can that can make plays for him after the catch, 
So I think, you know, Spiller's averaging over, I think he's averaging like 105 yards a game. Yeah, averaging six yards. Their offensive carry. lines. Yeah, their offensive line's really good. I, I think AM's a solid team for sure. Yeah. yeah. Second in the West right now. Well, yeah, after after Bama waterboarded their ass. <laughs> but you know, that's that's just kind of you know, it is what it is. That's just everybody Bama, gets baptized by that, Bama. That's just yeah. that's just Bama doing Bama things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh but then we can finally move on to the Clemson Notre Dame game, one of oh boy. a lot of interest since Clemson's Clemson's gotta play their backup quarterback again. But go ahead, yeah. TJ, you can uh, Yeah. DJ. Ooh, um, away. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Um, you know, I think I think the biggest thing is that neither one of these teams have been challenged yet. So I think when you're when you're going to this game, you know, we beat Miami. I think Miami's a good team. I think Boston College is a pretty good team. You know, Clemson's opponents, you know, with we're taking out Citadel, who's only playing four games this year, and they lost all four of them to uh, FBS opponents. Uh, if we take them out, Clemson's opponents are 18 and 20. Uh, Wake has a winning record of four and two. Miami's five and one. Boston College is four and three. And, you know, Notre Dame, their opponents are combined 12 and 28. I mean, none of none of the teams they've beaten have a winning record of, as of this point. Uh, so I think Notre Dame defensively, they're a really good unit, but I don't think they've been tested. Uh, so the fact that Notre Dame's offense has struggled the way they have against this type of competition is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, so I'll start, uh, you know, when Clemson has the ball, uh, the biggest thing without – I mean, I think if Trevor's in this game, he's just the ultimate middle finger to any defense because he's he's going to shred you, period. I mean, where he's just at that point right now. Uh, so I think without Trevor in there – you're going to, like I said in the, in the recap of Boston College, we have to continue to be creative with ETN because we just cannot run the ball in the middle, whether it be our offensive line playing patty cake or whether it be teams stacking the box trying to take away our most explosive player. Uh, they're going to make it harder on us. So we have to find other ways to get Travis the ball. Uh, he had 140 yards receiving last week. I think he's going to need like Miami-type touches in this game. Uh, you know, against Miami, he had 17 runs, uh, 12 targets. He's going to need that same sort of volume in this game. But I also think if, if DJ's shoulder is healthy enough, we're going to have to get him involved in the run game too because he's a load, uh, especially in short yardage situations where the offensive line isn't going to get a great push. Uh, I think I think having him carry the ball, uh, we'll have to pick our spots uh, like we did last week, but I think it'll be big for him to, to carry the football a little bit and at least give the defense something to think about. I think the biggest thing for DJ is the fact that there's no crowd. I mean, they're going to have, I think, 15 or 18 percent I can't remember what the uh, what the percentage is but they're going to have about 15,000 people in there uh, so it'll be loud uh, but I don't think it'll be enough to really throw off uh, what he's got going on and the other thing is I mean he's going to have a full week to prepare and this is a guy that played at St. John Bosco this is a national power uh, you know high school football program they ran a spread offense they did a lot of RPO stuff this isn't a guy that you know came from an option high school where he's having to learn all the terminology and stuff. A lot of the concepts and things are there. Uh, they talk about DJ being really next level between the ears. He's smart. He understands what's going on. So I think, I think he's going to be a little bit further ahead than probably a lot of freshman quarterbacks, um, which is something that at Clemson we've, we've been spoiled with. Um, we've had the last two show up ready to rock 
so I think I think DJ is going to play well. Uh, I think we're going to have to again pick our spots to throw it deep, uh, let him show off the cannon. We're going to have to pick spots to let him run. We're going to have to get Travis the football. Um, but Notre Dame, as of right now, one of the top defenses in the country, easily the top defense in the ACC. They're giving up 10 points a game. I mean, they've only allowed seven touchdowns uh, in their six games. So that's pretty ridiculous. Um, but I think the biggest key to, to really giving them issues is going to be pushing the field. I think they're probably the best defense we've seen. Uh, I think Miami had a pretty good defense, but just undisciplined. Uh, their defensive ends were probably a little bit better. You know, number nine for Notre Dame, uh, their edge player. I'm, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. Uh, but he's a beast. I mean, he can really get off the football. Uh, he's got good pass rush moves. Um, and, you know, they're they're blitzing at about, about a third of their snaps. So basically every series of downs, you're going to get one blitz. And that's pretty similar to Miami. Uh, I don't think as a team they have the same type of speed as Miami, especially a linebacker. Um, but I think for us, we're going to have to push the field in the sense that we're going to have to take shots just to open up the box, uh, just to try and get them out of there uh, to maybe give Travis some more room. I think Amari is, and Frank Ladson is going to be back. He didn't play. He had a little bit of a hip hip issue last week, so they held him. Um, if he can catch the football, he is our best deep threat. Um, we're supposed to get Joe and Gata back as well. Um, Debo said in his press conference tonight, tonight's Wednesday. Um, so after after practice, he has a little conference uh, with the media. And he said that, you know, he didn't hesitate to say Joe is the best guy we have at receiver. So getting him back is huge. Um, still not sure if he's going to be 100%, but they think he's going to be able to play a little bit more. Um, so just having somebody that doesn't have much tape, if he can go, that would be huge for us. Um, but we're, like I said, we're going to have to push the field. Um, let DJ show off the arm a little bit. Uh, the best player on Notre Dame's team, the best player on their defense, and it's not close, is Kyle Hamilton. This guy's a true sophomore from Maris High School in Atlanta. He's an absolute stud. Number 14 is everywhere. They play him a lot like they play, like we have, we played Isaiah Simmons. I mean, he's going to play both safety spots. He'll roll over, play one high. He'll come down to the box, play that nickel, strong safety, even strong side linebacker. Um, I mean, he's he's going to do a lot of different things. Uh, so he's the one guy that really scares me. You know, with Trevor, I think it's kind of a non-issue because you can look guys like that off. You can adjust the play. But I don't think DJ is as comfortable at the line of scrimmage as Trevor will be, obviously. So I think he's going to be the one guy that can really foul up some drives, especially on third downs. Uh, we've been a good third down team. We've been behind the sticks. That's going to continue to be a focal point is getting ahead of this chains for DJ. Uh, the other guy on their defense is corner, Nick McLeod. This is a NC State grad transfer. He's another really good player in the secondary, uh, 6'1", 6'2", maybe. He's long. He's physical. Uh, so I think if we have somebody like Cornell Powell matched up against him uh, in the boundary, that, that we might be able to have some success. Uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup, though. Uh, so defensively for Clemson, no Tyler Davis. No James Kowski, no Mike Jones. I mean, pretty similar to what we've been seeing for the past couple of weeks. That's our, our two best defensive players in Davis and Skowski that aren't going to be able to go. And it really is going to show up this week because this is a Notre Dame team that is extremely run heavy. Uh, they have a really good offensive line. All five of these guys started last year. They're all back. They're averaging about 310 pounds across the line. I mean, this is some corn-fed Midwest beef. These dudes are for real. Uh, the one. The one weakness I've seen is at center. Uh, Sid and I talked about 
about this a couple of days ago when I'm watching the replay. Uh, Louisville has a really good nose tackle, um, and he he abused the guy all day. They had to double team the entire second half. Uh, I thought I thought Tech was able to get a little bit of a push. You know, even Duke. Duke has a uh, you know Chris Rumpf and I uh, can't remember the the guy's name across from him, but they have two really good defensive ends, and they were pretty much stymied. But I don't know who they have inside, but he was able to get more more work than Chris Rumpf was, which is saying something. Uh, so I think if there is a, a, a hole, it's going to be at center. Um, but I think Notre Dame is, for the most part, they're probably going to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think, you know, Jake Venable starting at middle linebacker, this is probably a better matchup for him because uh, he's not going to be tasked with, you know, covering a lot of the motions and, and getting everybody set like he was with BC. This is going to be more just hit your gap and run, run fill um, and just make the tackle. Uh, so I think that plays more into his game. Uh, Baylor Inspector had another good game last week. Uh, he seems to really be have a security blanket when Skalski's there. Skalski is he's the guy that's you know hitting the run fit. He knows where he's supposed to be, and it lets <clears throat> it lets Baylor play just kind of with some reckless abandon, just going out there head hunting. Uh, so he's he's got to play within himself a little bit more. Overran a few plays last week, but I think I think he and he and Venables it'll play into their game to come downhill and, and just have some gap discipline. So for for Notre Dame, their offense has been pretty lackluster, especially in the past game. Uh, they lost their three top receivers from last year. A uh, guy, Chris Fink, who's very reminiscent of Hunter Renfro, just short area quickness, good hands, third down. That's where Ian Book was looking. Uh, their tight end, Cole Komet, was a second-round pick. And then, obviously, uh, Chase Claypool, who's been a fantasy unicorn in the sense that he goes off and then doesn't do anything but um, you know Chase Claypool was a big player for them so losing your top three receiving weapons um, right now Michael Meyer um, you know Halloween vibes is their freshman tight end he's their biggest matchup issue uh, he leads the team and catches with 15 he's tied for the lead in touchdowns with two you know six games in this is what it is but the wide receiver that they have number 88 Javon McKinley is a pretty big guy. He's got 14 catches for 260-something yards. But, again, I, I just don't see these guys really challenging Darion Kendrick and Andrew Booth. I think we'll probably leave those guys out on the island and just stuff the box. Um, and for running back, you know, Kyron Williams is their main guy. Uh, they have Sebo Flemister and Chris Tyree that mix in well. Kyron Williams has 105 carries for, for 600 yards on the dot. Uh, so he's averaging 5.7 yards a carry. Now, we talk about how Travis Etienne has really struggled to get going in the running game, by his standards especially. Um, but at 5.7 yards a carry, that's really good for Kyron Williams. Um, but Travis is still a little bit over that. I think he's like 5.9 still, which says something. You know, he's a Kyron Williams is a physical guy, though. Chris Tyree is probably the most explosive of the three. Um he and Flemister both have about 40 carries for about 200 yards or so. So they're averaging about five or six a pop as well. Um, but this all starts up front. I think Ian Book as a, as a quarterback, um, he doesn't scare me throwing the football. And the one thing that I've seen watching their games from this year, and especially last year, he's very, he's, he plays on the balls of his feet. It's very Bo Nix-like in the sense that he bounces around in the pocket he has open throws and he'll bail on it to run or scramble or try and get outside the pocket, reset his shoulders. It, it, it's things like that that have kept him from being elite. 
I think he's a good college quarterback, but I think the way he plays is a little bit backyard football. I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to beat you from the pocket. And if there's anything we know about Brent Venables is that if there's a team that wants to just run or wants to just pass, odds are if he can make you one-dimensional, he will beat you. He will find a way to beat you. So I think if we can play him like we played the Eric King, bracket him in the pocket, keep him from scrambling, maybe get some pressure in the A-gap off that center, I think we'll have a chance. Um, you know, but he's a difference maker in the run game. He's quick. Um, he's he's going to be big on short yardage. They're a really good third-down team. Uh, they're seventh in the country, converting at 54%, um, again, against the competition. But it says something when your offense is, you know, that far over 50%. Uh, Clemson is 16th. We're, we're converting a little over 50% of our third down. So two really good third down teams on offense and defense. But I think the biggest discrepancy comes in the red zone. Notre Dame's had 32 red zone attempts, 19 touchdowns. That's a 59% clip. What's interesting about those 19 touchdowns is only five of them have come in the air. So when things get tight in the red zone, their passing game becomes even more of a non-factor, really. Um, and even though McKinley and, and Mayer are pretty big guys, they just can't seem to get them the football. Uh, so, you know, third down stops and red zones, touchdowns for Clemson are going to be the, the key to this football game. Um, like I said, I, I, I expect Brent Venables to be extremely aggressive. You know, as far as matchups go, Michael Mayer, the, the freshman tight end, is, is probably their, their biggest mismatch. Um, but Clemson's been really good this year. We've seen two good tight ends. Brevin Jordan from Miami had three catches for 31 yards. Hunter Long last week from Boston College. I mean, this is the, the best receiving tight end in the country in terms of stats. Long is, and he had three catches for 23 yards. Uh, so I, I hope that that sort of thing continues. Uh, Book seems to look to him on third downs. Um, but again, Book just doesn't flash as a passer. He's very, he's very, you know, scramble happy. Uh, so if we can make him one dimensional, I, I expect us to have a have a pretty good showing. Uh, but again, on offense, I expect DJ to play well. Travis needs to have as many touches as we can get um, in different ways. You know, throw it to him, throw him screens. We ran him, uh, you know, split him out wide and ran him just on some just on some deep fade routes, wheel routes. Anything we can do to get him the football is going to be is going to be key. Again, if Trevor's here, we have Skalski, we have Davis. If we're at full strength, Notre Dame's at full strength, this is not a toss-up. This is not a game that I think Notre Dame can hang with us in. Um, but, you know, their defense on paper and on film, they look good against what who they've played. I mean, you can only play who you play. Um, and they've, they've looked good. So I think this is a close game. I think this is a dog fight well into the fourth quarter. Uh, but I, I, I think Clemson should be able to pull this one out. So I, I'm looking forward to it, but it'll be an interesting game for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a hell of a game, dude. Yeah. I think, I think I, you know, it's obviously your your preview, but just a few things. I think, for one, Notre Dame does really well is getting their tight ends in space on, like, converting yep. third downs and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's going to be big uh, discipline there when you're from your linebackers and covering them. And the other thing is just watching Ian Book in person, I was not impressed. There were some some wide open throws. It's just like he looks like he's he's happy in the pocket, his feet happy, and then all of a sudden he just fires a missile and it's like straight into the ground or it was it was wildly inaccurate. There were some throws he made that were good, but it just wasn't that impressive. So I think you sell out, stop the run, 
and uh, make Ian Book beat you, and I don't think he can. So, Yeah, and that's the thing that I've seen from Book on tape. I mean, even last year, obviously as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, we played him in the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, that that's a different defense than we have right now. That was – I mean, that's arguably the best defensive unit in modern college football. Like, you're never going to see a team from a defensive line standpoint – you're never going to see that if you're Ian Book. I mean, until you're in the NFL, like that's that's not something that happens. So we're not that team that can just completely suffocate you from the inside out. Um, but I think stopping the run is going to be easier said than done. Um, but the one thing I've noticed about Book is that he is – he bounces on the balls of his feet. And I get it. He's an athletic guy. He, he wants to stay in an athletic position. But what that does is it – he just seems to be very inconsistent with his throws. He'll make some that are just – he'll dot the guy up, perfect product placement. It's like, well, that's a really, really high-level throw. Then other times he'll be bouncing around and won't set his feet or he'll, you know, kind of throw off his back foot. Um, arm strength is another thing. He doesn't he doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, so I think, again, with the receivers they have, if we can lock the tight end up like we have been, I think forcing him to go outside and, and forcing them to run the ball down our throat to sustain drives is going to be key, but, you know, we're shorthanded defensively, especially up the middle. So I, I don't know if, if stopping the run is as easy as it sounds. I, I definitely think y'all have a much better run defense than us. And to be honest, they didn't really run the ball down our throats. We get them to third and long and we get them off schedule. And then we give up a tight end pass across the middle or a third down conversion. So I don't think y'all should have a problem, really. Um, I think y'all should be able to stop them on the run. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is, is I don't see their offense putting up a ton of points. I, I see They're no just, more than 10 or 17 points. I mean, I hope you're right. I, I hope DJ plays well enough to give us 30, because I think that's that's the, the area where it becomes pretty comfortable for us. But it, it'll be a good game, I think. You know, with, with North Carolina losing last week, this is kind of set up for us to play them a second time, really, assuming there's no hiccups for either team down the road. And it I think be. once we once we come back and, and you know, first weekend in, or December 19th or whenever it is, I um, think if we're full strength at that point, it's probably probably game over for, for the old Golden Domers. Well, that concludes our uh, previews, right? Yep. So I guess we can move on to the game picks. Sam, if you want to take it away. Um, so for this week's game picks, I guess I'll update everybody on where we stand. Uh, currently, Davini is leading by a game, 38 wins, 24 losses. Uh, he is also pacing the group in points uh, with 64. Right behind him, uh, Sid, myself, and Jacob, we're all tied uh, record-wise, 37 and 25. Uh, there is a little discrepancy with points. Jacob and I are sitting tied for third uh, with 61 points, and Sid has uh, 62 points. So we'll get going with the with the games this week. Uh, Friday night lights. We got BYU playing their first team with a pulse this year, um, as they will go to the blue turf, the Smurf turf, to take on Boise State. Boise State started their season last week. Uh, BYU's rolling right now. Who y'all got in this one? I'll go ahead and say I'm taking BYU. I think BYU has played really uh, some solid football this year. Boise State's not obviously who they were, so I'm going to go with the Cougars. 
Heck yeah, baby. I'm going with BYU. Go Mormons. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much the same way here. Uh, I think Zach Wilson is playing out of his mind right now. Um, Boise State won last week, but they played without their starting quarterback. Um, so not sure if he'll be back this week, but I don't really think it matters. Week two, you're getting a good team. So it is what it is. I, I like BYU in this one. Yeah, I'm with y'all. Uh, BYU has been winning all their games and, you know, winning them pretty handedly. Boise State, you know, there's there's not much to know about them quite yet, so I'm going BYU. All right, next came up, a little Big Ten action. We have Indiana, who's 2-0. and They're going to host Michigan. Obviously, Michigan, we, we talked about how we thought they might be a good team, and then turns out Minnesota is just really bad defensively. So who y'all like in this one? Uh, this one was tough for me, but I'm going to go with Indiana. I, I kind of like what they're doing. They're not blowing anybody out. They should have blown Rutgers out. They won by like 16 points. But um, Michigan had a good offensive performance the week one, and then last week was was kind of dog shit. So I'm, I'm going to go with Indiana here. Yeah, I'm riding with Indiana too. You know, this, this week two for the Big Ten – you know, it kind of kind of showed the true colors a little bit of what how the teams are going to do um, in that conference. And Indiana's looking pretty good, so I'm going to ride with them. Yeah, um, you know, this is the first time that Indiana has been ranked uh, inside the top 20 in our lifetime. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting Sick. to think of. Yeah, so, you know, long time coming for the Hoosiers. I like mm-hmm. Michael Penix. I like Watt Billier. I think Indiana has a has a really good team, but I'm going to take Michigan in this one. I think uh, I think old khaki pants is going to get them ready to go. So uh, I take Michigan in a close game here. Yeah, I uh, I thought I was going to be the only one taking Michigan here, but I also think Michigan's going to get this one. You know, they they got beat last week by Michigan State, but stat wise it, it looked like they play fine they couldn't get a push on the offensive line to to get any run room um and that's kind of what lost in the game they couldn't really establish that but i think they come back this week and, and they can take down indiana yeah my biggest thing is looking at the penn state game penn state moved the ball on them all night they just shot themselves in the foot so if michigan can run the ball a little bit i, I think they have a good shot moving on now we have usc and arizona state so the pac-12 gets started this week this is going to be a 9 a.m. kickoff for those guys in the West Coast. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, so, Davini, you want to start us off on this one? <laughs> Dude, I have no idea where to start <laughs> on this game. No idea. Like, I could I could toss a coin up right now and pick a team. So, I'm just going to go USC. Davini, I'm going to okay. follow you. I uh, am clueless on this, this matchup. I couldn't even tell you who USC's starting quarterback is. I'm assuming the what's his name that Slovis. Slovis, yeah. Yep, slow, yeah, 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 yeah. That's who I was gonna go with. So that's all I know. So based on that fact, I know more about USC than I do Arizona State. So I gotta go with the, the Trojans. You know, a solid, solid rationale there. Uh, I'm going the other direction. Uh, so Arizona State last year started a freshman quarterback, Jaden Daniels, uh, had an unreal touchdown to interception ratio, not a ton of yards. Um, but second year in the offense under Herm Edwards, I like this team a lot. Um, obviously, for Slovis, he's losing his top target, Michael Pittman Jr. 
so I think I think this is going to be an interesting game. USC's favored by about ten, but I'm I'm taking the dog in this one. Go Sun Devils. Yeah, I'm going back to uh, I'm I'm picking USC as well. I don't know much about either of these teams. I remember Jaden Daniels uh, played pretty well last year. I mean, nothing nothing crazy, but I think USC still. You said they lost their biggest weapon, but and they did, but they still have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a good good guy outside, and they they have some weapons still. So I'm going USC. Good deal. Next game, uh, we've got Kansas State playing without their starting quarterback again. Uh, they're hosting Oklahoma State coming off the loss to Texas. Devinny, who you got? Okay, State, baby. So uh, I was I, I was looking at common opponents, kind of trying to do some linkages like I did last week. I was looking at Kansas. I see Kansas State throttle Kansas. Oklahoma State also throttle Kansas. So I kind of – same conclusion as Mississippi State. Kansas is dog shit. But the West Virginia one is the differentiator. Oklahoma State beat West Virginia. West Virginia kicked Kansas State's ass. I got to go with Oklahoma State. Okay, fair enough. Oklahoma State's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite in this one, so no surprise here. Uh, I'm also going with the Pokes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, State all the way. All right, so getting into another SEC matchup uh, night game. Uh, so Carolina hosting a and I think this is going to be a good game, um, better than people think it's going to be because A&M is looking pretty good. And, you know, South Carolina's look good, you know, in a couple games this year. Didn't really show it against LSU, but, you know, LSU threw out a whole different scheme against them with a new quarterback and everything. So, um, but – I think A&M ends up edging it out at the end of the game. I'm picking A&M. This one was tough. I, want, I, I always want to pick for Carolina. Um, I'm definitely pulling for them. But I, I, got, I want to go with A&M in this one. Just, just my gut tells me to go with A&M. Yeah, Sid, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going A&M. I, I really like what Jimbo's rolling out this year. I think Kalamon's playing well. Talked about Spiller. Uh, and obviously, our zero of the week candidate is coming out of Texas A&M's backfield too. Uh, just, just too many weapons. I, I don't know if, if Carolina can keep up in this one, but I do think it should be a tight game, ten point spread. Um, I, I think, I think Carolina has a really good shot at covering. Yeah, I mean, I, I went over all this before. It's going to be definitely a tough one for South Carolina to win, but you know, in a game like this, I, I can't take, can't take a, a different team. So I'm taking South Carolina. I like it. Jacob, if, if your Gamecocks pull this one out, this one's big for you in, in multiple reasons because this is a game for you to pick up some ground on on the, the uh, competition here in our pick em, So Yep, yep. Another good point made. With that said, we'll shift back out to the West Coast. Oregon opening up their season hosting Stanford. Oregon should be a pretty good team. Uh, they're an 11-point favorite in this game. Before I make this pick, is there uh... – that defensive lineman, he opt back in. Thibodeau? Yeah, yeah, Thibodeau is playing. Okay, yeah. And so, so. is Justin Flo. Yeah. Um, so, with that reason, yeah. I'm going to go And Javon Oregon. Holland. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I seriously think Oregon's, Oregon's going to be the best uh, Pac-12 team, and I don't think Stanford's going to be that good. So, I think this was kind of obvious here. We're going to go with Oregon. Yeah, no doubt there. Uh, obviously, we just named off a bunch of guys on that defense. Thibodeau, Flo, 
Sewell, Javon Holland is probably the best safety in the country. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a for a for a Pac-12 team. This is going to be a really good defense. Um, Stanford just don't really know what they got. Don't really think it matters. I'm I'm taking Oregon here. Yep, me too. I'm taking Oregon for sure. Perfect, clean sweep for the Ducks. So back into some more interesting SEC matchups. Arkansas hosts Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is a one and a half point favorite on the road. Yeah, I like uh, I like Arkansas in this one. Um, you know, opening up with uh, Georgia it didn't look too good. It looked like they were going to be the same old Arkansas team with Felipe out there at quarterback. But you know, they've actually done some things. They should have beat Auburn. Um, you know, they they beat Mississippi State handedly. Um, they did get they get. He did get a little throttled uh, last week against AM, but AM has a solid offense. But <laughs> flipping to Tennessee, Tennessee hasn't looked good it, it, really any game they've played this year, uh, yeah. except against Carolina. But that was the first game of the year, and Carolina really didn't. You know, I think if Carolina and Tennessee played right now this week, I think Carolina would beat them handedly. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, I think it's Arkansas for sure right here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i with you. I, I like what Pittman's got going on. Garantano don't do shit for me, so I'm going with I'm going with the Razorbacks. Yeah, I agree with you all. I like what Pittman's got going on. I think he's a really good coach. Obviously, I think Arkansas has probably outperformed what they should have been doing. Um, but with that said, I'm, I'm taking Tennessee here. I'm taking uh, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, the nun football coach, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, I, I think – Garantano doesn't do a whole lot for me either, but I like Tennessee's defense. I think for Arkansas, they've they've gotten the benefit of the doubt. They've been able to win some games just by some some lucky turnovers. They got screwed out of the Auburn game by an unlucky call. But um, you know, I think I think Tennessee is the better team. Uh, so I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and take the Vols. You've been watching Lee Corso pick. That was a very Lee Corso style pick right there. I was I was actually. I thought, again, I thought I was going to be the only one taking Tennessee. I just have a feeling about Tennessee in this game, you know, that there's just – I feel like there's something going on, so I'm taking Tennessee. Good pick, Jacob. Outstanding pick. Appreciate it. Outstanding pick. So now we'll shift uh, – and I want to preface this by saying that normally we have one game of the week. This week we have two games of the week. Uh, so the first one we're going to start with, with Clemson and Notre Dame. Clemson is a five-and-a-half-point road dog – or road favorite, excuse me even without Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though y'all don't have Trevor, DJ's still, you know, a hell of a quarterback. Uh, I didn't know he was 250. He's an absolute unit. He can throw the pigs <laughs> He's a refrigerator out there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the defense didn't look, you know, too great in the first half. But then again, you have uh, a guy named Venables um, on the sideline and didn't give up. A single point in the second half so you know even if the first half does look rough again um I'm not betting against that man Clemson all way. yeah this this is uh it was pretty refreshing for the first time for me to look at a Clemson game and go ah nah you know like I, I, I questioned it a minute but then I watched Notre Dame play their offense isn't explosive enough I think BC does a lot better at what they do um so I think Notre Dame's really going to struggle on the offensive side of the ball uh, Venable's going to have his guys ready. 
I think Clemson can probably score as low as 21 and still win this game, in my opinion. So, going Tigers. Sheesh, I think it's going to take more than 21 for sure. Um, but, again, I, I broke down this game at length. I think, obviously, if Clemson's got Tyler Davis and Skowski in the middle, uh, we should be able to control the line of scrimmage and or at least control the running game. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to move the ball on us, but I think once they get in the red zone, things are going to tighten up for them. Uh, if we can force them to some field goals, again, I, I I like Clemson by at least a touchdown. Yeah, I agree with you. I really want to take Notre Dame here, but I just, you know, Clemson's probably going to come out and win, even though, you know, they have a freshman quarterback, they're missing some pieces on defense. I just don't – I think Notre Dame's a little overhyped, so – yeah, the other thing I want to point out is for, for Brian Kelly, I feel like this is a must-win game for him, though. I feel like he's got a lot of pressure on himself. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then finally, probably the the biggest matchup of the game of the week is going to be Florida and Georgia. Georgia's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Okay. Uh, before I get into the Georgia-Florida game, I'm going to go back to the USC-Arizona State game. Uh, I just went – and looked up uh, both teams' last five games. And, you know, Arizona State did lose um, to USC, but only by five points last year. And they also beat Oregon, who was ranked number six at the time. Um, so my gut's telling me Arizona State. So, yeah, I'm changing that to Arizona State. Okay, but Florida, Georgia, man. I'm not picking against the dogs, obviously. Uh, Don't pick against your squad. I'm gonna pick Georgia. I really think we can win this game. We gotta, we gotta run the ball, and I think we're gonna be able to run the ball well. Uh, time possession is gonna be key. We gotta keep Kyle Trask and the offense off the field because uh, they will put up numbers and they will put up points. I'm really worried about uh, LeCount not being out there. Uh, probably one of the best guys on our defense, if not the best. Uh, and he's not even going to be out there. So that's the scary part because they like to throw the ball. Um, Stetson's got to have a good game, man. If he doesn't, if he's played like he has the past two games, uh, it's not going to be pretty, and I'm going to be depressed all weekend. Um, but, you know, if he comes out, you know, like he did against the first first couple teams, you know, I'll be, I'll be excited. Um, he'll give us a chance. Uh, but this Florida team's good. They're, I think, the best they've been under Dan Mullen so far. Um, but I do think Kirby has Dan Mullen's number. You know, he's 3-0 right now. I think he's got his offensive scheme. Uh, he knows what he's going to be doing. So, uh, obviously, go dogs. I like it, Vinny. I, I, I'm a big proponent of never picking against you guys. Um, I think this is the second-best offense, without a doubt, that uh, Georgia will have faced behind Alabama, obviously. We're used to seeing those old-style football games, a lot of defense, not a whole lot of throwing the ball around, you know, a.k.a. UGA Kentucky game. Um, I think it's going to be a little different. I expect Dan Mullen and them to come come out there a little fired up, trying to throw the ball around, get the ball to pits, get, get Trask going. My mind tells me Georgia should win this game. I do think Georgia is the better team, without a doubt. Um, I'm interested to see what y'all's offense can do. But for some reason, I think Dan Mullen is in kind of – he's in go mode right now when it comes to this game. He's got to get one on the scoreboard for for his uh, resume. So, for that reason, I'm going to reluctantly take the Gators. 
Yeah, um, this is a really interesting game because I feel like if, if George is at full strength defensively on the on the line and at safety, I feel like I'm taking Georgia because of the, the things that I outlined, you know, about Kyle Trask. This is not a guy that has to throw into tight windows. This isn't a guy that has to, you know, maneuver the pocket and make throws downfield. And I don't I don't think Georgia is going to allow Tony and, and Grimes and, and Pitts to just completely shred them. I think Georgia is going to be easily the best defense that Florida plays this year. So, I mean, with that said, I think with the pieces that, that Georgia lost, some of the things that Alabama showed, I think I think Florida has some of the personnel to to do some of those things. Defensively, Florida sucks. Let's just be real about it. Florida is not good defensively. I think Georgia will probably control the football, control time of possession. So I think both, you know, the injuries to Georgia's defense, the fact that Florida doesn't have a defense, the things that these teams are good at, the other team kind of plays into it. So matchup-wise, it's it's going to be really interesting to see if Georgia can run the ball better or Florida can have more explosive plays. Um, but with with the injuries, I'm I'm going to reluctantly take the Gators in this one. I, I think that I think that this is put up or shut up for Kyle Trask. But I like their athletes. I think they'll just be able to outscore Georgia, honestly. So I'm taking the Gators. Yeah, this is this is a really tough one. Like you said, you know, Richard accounts out. I think that's huge, especially going against you know, all these playmakers uh, that Florida has, you know, like you said, Florida's defense is not good. So this is going to have to be a game where, you know, Georgia establishes a run, can move the ball really well on the ground. And Stetson's going to have to make some plays for sure. Uh, you know, I just, I think that, like you said, Alabama showed some weaknesses, you know, Georgia should have destroyed Kentucky and they didn't. Um, I think it's going to be honestly kind of a shootout, and I think Florida just has is, is more set up to win those. So I'm going Florida as well. And all right, hold, well, hold on. Is that is that the first uh, three to one pick against Georgia? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I I took Georgia to beat Bama. So. Oh. Write that one down for a podcast history right there. <laughs> It'll help me. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel. I don't feel good about picking Florida. Hey, I said reluctantly. I'm reluctantly taking the Gators. And Benny, you do make a good point. That's another one of those scenarios where you can distance yourself if your team does well. That's why, for example, I picked Tech against Louisville, and it it got me a little bit of a little bit of leeway there against all three. But but that's a never pick against your squad situation. That's that's what I'm saying. I guess this is too. But yeah, that's for Davini, and same thing for Jacob. And this week. We all took Texas A&M, but he ain't picking against the squad. <laughs> I like it. I don't know. This is this this Georgia Florida game is going to be interesting. I might change my pick Saturday. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's how it works, but yeah, not not how that one works. Mm. I don't feel good about either team. I, I'll just put it that way. So who won last week? Jacob. Um, Jacob. Jacob was our was our outright winner um, <laughs> with a six and three. Actually, no. Jacob was seven and two last week. Let's get it. Crazy. So I go mean, ahead and have your your one minute, son. Yeah, I have. I've literally have no idea what to talk about here. You got um, a minute to talk about whatever the I, hell you I, want to. I, I know. I know. Uh, I'm it really right now. You know, I'm really interested in. Well, I guess you know, talking about Carolina. Hopefully, they can come out and beat Texas A&M, just capture some of that momentum back, but. 
looking at the Georgia-Florida game, you know, I, I dislike both teams, but it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Obviously, I picked Florida, so hoping they can come out with it. And then Clemson last week, I was really hoping that they would lose Boston College, but, you know, in the back of my head, I, I always knew that they're going to come back somehow. But honestly, uh, DJ Ukulele, he – he, I mean, he played well, but he didn't impress me a whole lot. He missed a bunch of throws, I thought, and uh, I guess, you know, I guess that was good to see. But anyways, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. When when you're a fan of a, a losing team, you know, it doesn't uh, doesn't go well. But, but anyways. Yeah, I, I, I feel kind of – I feel kind of hurt that you feel like DJ didn't impress you. I mean, he was 30 of 41 for 342 yards – how many of those throws were 15 yards down the field or more? Or how many of those uh, completions? Eh, I don't know. Of the completions? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably probably eight or ten. So, I mean, like, I, I'm not going to say he didn't impress me. But uh, there were some throws. But you got to think. they. We found out that, that Trevor could not play at 1245 on Thursday. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's tough. I'm just saying mechanics-wise, there was the throws that – not mechanics-wise, but just, like, overall quarterback play, there were some throws that I was just kind of like, that dude's wide open. And, and it was what you talked about earlier, the opposite hash or opposite sideline, you know, the field side. Dude, why do I get a feeling that BYU is going to lose now? Vinny, don't do this. <laughs> I, I kind of hope BYU loses. I ain't going to cap. But anyways, that's what we have to say about college football this week. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the end. And with that, peace.